Good morning, everybody. Um, this morning, I sent a text to some of my, my best friends, my oldest friends, um, and said that I was preaching. And they very helpfully have um, sent some jokes. Uh, uh, topical jokes, uh, because they combine not only tennis and Emma, Emma Raducanu, but also church. So, uh, um, do you want to hear them? Yeah. Okay. On your own heads be it. <laughs> uh, so, the first one. Uh, what do you call a woman in the middle of a tennis court? Ricky Coss, be quiet. He must know this. Annette. I didn't say they were good. Where is the first tennis match mentioned in the Bible? When Joseph served in Pharaoh's court. And the last one. Recently, I've been using the Bible for support. I've got a wobbly coffee table. Yeah, I didn't say they were good. So we're um, continually looking at uh, the book of James. And I was, I was wondering what it would have been like to be the first recipients of the book of James, or the scroll of James, probably as it was, and to work your way through it. You read chapter 1 and you read chapter 2 and you think, chapter 3 can't be possibly any more challenging. And then you come into it and it's about the power of the tongue. And I can imagine. I don't know if them like us, they read it with this sharp intake of breath, um, because it is pretty direct. And... Um, So I've been pondering, before I got into it, what really motivated James. Um, We know that he was the younger half-brother of Jesus, and that he was a leader in this infant church in Jerusalem, this messianic church, and that there there were multiple pressures from without, from the Orthodox Jews who were persecuting them, and there were pressures in, the pressure to conform so that they would be accepted. On top of that, there was famine, and so there were so many things um, going on for them. And so it's within that context that James writes this letter. And um, in other places in the New Testament, we see reference to James as being, Paul calls him a pillar of the church, And then in Acts chapter 15, when uh, there's a council in Jerusalem and Paul and Barnabas are asked to come and justify their ministry to the Gentiles, then it's James at the end who makes um, a very wise and um, thoughtful and decisive judgment on what to do with with this blossoming Gentile church. And so... Here he is, a leader who is um, leading a group of people who are persecuted. And his message to them, um, he, they didn't want to hear sort of things which were padded out and fluffy. They needed something which was direct, practical, and was going to uh, be wholly appropriate to them as a persecuted church. And his motivation is um, right at the beginning of James. In James, the second verse of chapter 1, where he says, The testing of your faith produces endurance. That's pretty important, isn't it, if you're being persecuted. And let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. 
And so here is this godly man, this wise man, and he's a pastor of a church, and he wants them to be there at the end, mature and complete. He wants them to hang on in and to be um, all that God intended them to be, and that's his motivation. And that's why his message is so, to us it reads, so in your face, um, get your life right. But actually to them it was a message of urgency and and relevance. And um, he uses three analogies when he's talking about the tongue. He talks about the bit and the bridle in the horse's mouth. uh, And then he talks about the, the small rudder on a large ship. And he talks about the small spark starting a fire. And as I thought about it, I thought, none of those things are bad things. They're good. The rudder on a ship is a good thing, isn't it? Because it's, it's essential. If a ship's going to go in the right direction, if it's not going to damage itself or to steer into other ships, and a rudder is absolutely essential. And, the, and a f- fire is absolutely um, one of the essential elements, isn't it? We need it for warmth and light, for smelting things don't ask me I'm getting a bit technical here um but it's always been one of the essential things of developing society fire but a spark in the wrong place as we've seen all through the summer the forest fires going through the Mediterranean the Greek islands through Canada through North America a small spark can be absolutely devastating and the rudder on a ship in the wrong hands can lead people maybe tens and hundreds of miles off course. So what he's saying, James, is not that, and sometimes it doesn't read like this, but he's not saying that our voice is evil. What he's saying is that voices are powerful. And they can be used to bless or to curse. They can be used to bring life or they can be used to bring death. There's nothing wrong with them, but they are powerful. So if the, if the tongue, if, the, if our voices were um, evil, if they were bad, then the only solution to that would be for us to be silent and not say anything. And that's not an option. That's totally not an option. If you, if you know, if you've had children and they have an argument with their siblings or their parents, they say, right, I'm never, never going to speak again. And you know that loss may be 30 seconds if they're really strong-willed like our son was it may last up to 30 minutes but it's impossible for a child to say silent it's impossible for us to say silent because our original design how God intended for us was to be people who communicate who communicate back to God wisdom love affection asking questions pouring out praise encouraging one another, affirming one another, seeing life and speaking into it. God's given us our voice, and it's a gift to us. But James also puts this um, really good wisdom at the beginning of his book. He says, be slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to become angry. That's brilliant wisdom, isn't it? Be slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to become angry. So our words, 
and our voices are so much more powerful than I think we realise they are. So much more powerful um, than we've comprehended. And that can apply both in a negative and a positive sense, can't it? Um, Negatively, sometimes our words uh, can affect people and grieve the Spirit of God much more than we realise. When I was um, a young Christian, I was growing up with these same guys who sent the awful jokes. There were four of us, agricultural students who all lived together. And uh, we had a lot of banter going on, as you can imagine, five guys in a house together. And uh, we would be constantly on one another, teasing and making jokes. And sometimes for me, some of the jokes would hit a nerve. And uh, one pretend friend in particular, he was really good <laughs> at hitting raw spots at me. And my reaction was sarcasm. And I could get back at him with sarcasm because it, was, it brought up a, a self-defense mechanism. And it, it wasn't till many... <clears throat> It wasn't until many years later that I realised how much my sarcasm had cut him. And uh, sometimes we don't realise how much our words um, can cut and wound people. Sometimes people dump their anger or their frustrations. And uh, we don't realise the wounds that it has on others and how much it grieves the Spirit of God. So I guess there's something that James is trying to say here of the fear of the Lord over our tongues. The words that we speak. Um, The tone of voice that we use. The body language that goes with it. And I'm going to speak a little bit later on just to finish What's God's remedy for that? Because there's also the positive side and the constructive side that we don't realise how powerful our words are to bring life. You know, we we sometimes say things um, and somebody will come back to us later and go, that was really amazing what you said. And we've got no remembrance, no recollection of saying it. But to them, something has come and just brought life to them. There's a story, um, I shared this at St. Mark's. Uh, a church was preparing to do uh, an, an open-air service for Easter, and they asked a young man in their congregation um, if he would share his story, his testimony. And um, he prepared for weeks and, and thought about it, and he thought, in the end, I'm just going to get up and I'm just going to trust God that he'll put the words in from my story. So the time came for him to speak, and he stood up in front of... Um, the, the, the crowd and his, his mind and his mouth just went completely dry there was nothing in his head at all and he stood there waiting for something to come in and nothing did I was saying to him this happened to me once it happened to me lots of times but particularly the most painful one was standing in front of a, an assembly of 15 year old girls where my mind went completely blank Paul talks about the second death. Well, I experienced that (laughs) standing in front of an assembly room of giggling 15-year-olds. Anyway, 
the guy stood there and the only thought that came into his mind, the only words was that Jesus really loves you. And then he waited for something else to come. Nothing came. So he said it again, Jesus really loves you. And then he got up and turned around and walked back into the crowd and he felt complete failure. Anyway, a few weeks later, he came back to church and a young man bounded up to him with a huge grin on his face. And the guy thought, I don't know this guy at all. I should know him, but I don't, I don't know him. And he, and he said, no, you don't know me. But I was walking down the street and I happened to stop just at the point where you said, Jesus really loves you. And something came into me and I thought, wow. And then you said it again. And a little voice inside of me said, that was for you. And so I went away and I thought about it and I started to talk to friends and now I'm here today in response to that. He had no idea when he said those, how many words it was, the impact it had. We've got no idea some of the things that we say which seem so inconsequential, but the impact they have spiritually of going through the spiritual realm and, and changing people's lives might be the prayers that we pray might be the songs that we sing as we praise in times of adversity when we choose to praise that is so powerful might be the word of affirmation or encouragement or exhortation to me we make to somebody but it's a word in season we just think oh we're just saying something but so powerful it might be just those one or two key phrases or things we try to say something witnessing of our faith to somebody and telling our story and we think oh it was nothing but God can take our words and bring so much life and so I felt as I'm preparing this this morning God wants to sort of open our eyes to how powerful our voices are there's a a verse in um, Psalm 81 uh, which says open wide your mouths and I will fill it And I've got a sense as as a congregation how, as we, not physically, but as we allow ourselves, our mouths to be open, God God wants to fill our mouths. And some of the things which may have been burning inside of you to, to share or to speak or to encourage somebody, God wants to fill our mouths. So let's just finish with an application in the book of Isaiah, you'd know it, for the first five chapters, Isaiah is, is preaching and prophesying. And then in Isaiah chapter 6, he's caught up in a vision where he sees the Lord in his glory. And his response is, woe to me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live in a, in a nation of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the glory of the king. And so he confesses that. But God's response is that he sends an angel with a burning coal to touch his lips and to sanctify. And so for all of us, and all of us have said things which we didn't intend to say, and sometimes we've said things which we did intend to bring hurt. God would hear our confession and also he would want to come and just cleanse and purify our lips so that there's anointing like Isaiah to fulfill what God's put in our heart to do. So that's one thing. 
And the second thing for all of us who, who feel like there's something burning inside of us that we'd like to speak, but we haven't got the confidence and we don't realize how powerful our words are. Um, there's, there's a story in Mark 7, and I didn't realize it was the chosen reading for today. I had no idea. But there's a story where Jesus is walking and a, a man comes to him who's, who's deaf and dumb. And Jesus takes him to one side. He puts his fingers in his ears and he touches his tongue. He sighs and looks to heaven, touches his finger on his tongue and says something in Hebrew, epaphra, epaphra, which means be opened. And it says that the man's eyes, the man's ears were opened and that his tongue was released. And I think there's something that God wants to do in our midst of just touching our tongues to release life through our words. Blessing, affirmation, encouragement, declaration. Because he has called us, when I say us, I mean the church worldwide, not our small congregation and the big congregation, um, to build his kingdom and to disciple, disciple nations. And we can only do that with, with hearts that are right, but also with words. And so even though it might seem a huge picture, God wants to touch our mouths and release, release us to speak. So maybe we can pray. The, do you want to come up? If it's for nobody else, I know that this word has really challenged me. <laughs> I've been sitting here with it for such a long time and I realise that I've, for all my life I've been under the fear of man for the words I speak. And so this has been a hugely challenging word to me. But let's just pray and maybe open up our hands. Father, I thank you that you're the God who um, is holy. And there's a sense there is a fear of the Lord over the words that we speak. But you're also the God who comes with a coal that purifies our tongues and sets us apart and sanctifies us for the things you've called us to do. So that the words we speak are holy so that the words we speak are life-giving. And so if that's you, just receive his forgiveness and receive his purifying word to you today. God purifies. He does not condemn. And then for some of us, there's... We don't have confidence, but we know there's something burning in us that we want to, to speak, whatever that might be. And I pray that you would open our mouths so we would open our mouths so that you can fill it. That you would touch, open our ears and touch our tongues and say, be released. In Jesus' name. Be released in Jesus' name because I've called you to bring life. To bring hope, to bring reconciliation. So receive that this morning.
and just keep receiving as we worship God's gift to you Amen Amen